Good morning and welcome to the contest 2024, where we look at what's happening in the pivotal American presidential race. And Sarah brought this to my attention, so kudos to her this morning. But before I begin my analysis of why Nikki Haley is the fool's gold of this election cycle, let me just state it's quite extraordinary how wrong the FT is about just about everything. It's quite extraordinary. These are people, our elites, who never stop to wonder why people don't like them when their record is plain to see. The FT and the people in it who go around, and I, I say this, I, most of my clients are bankers and hedge fund guys, and they look embarrassed. They always get the FT, I suppose, because it's free in airports. And, the, and they read it and, and spout it as gospel. And I said, well, again, I like to spout people as gospel who are right. And if you're wrong about Iraq and wrong about Afghanistan and certainly wrong about the financial crisis, wrong about the rise of Trump and populism, wrong about COVID, uh, wrong about almost everything, and yet they continue to be read and, and taken seriously um, as though the establishment Bible has any sort of credibility in terms of the only thing that matters revolutionarily, Jeffersonian merit, being right. And anytime the FT will say something, they are the Yasser Arafat of uh, political risk analysis. If Arafat, I used to say, told me to go left, I'd go wrong. If he told me to go up, I'd go down. He never misses an opportunity to miss an opportunity. And certainly the FT, as I've just listed on all the big things that have been going on, the rise of China, we can add, and how benign they thought it would be. Um, yet again today, there's a wish-casting article in the paper about the rise and rise of Nikki Haley in the Republican primary. And it is quite extraordinary how wrong they are. You know, you think they'd be right roughly half the time, the monkey score, but no, somehow the establishment given their flawed lens of viewing the world, is wrong about everything pretty much all the time. So why am I saying this? Why? I mean, well, first of all, given their track record alone, and I'm a good historian, given their track record, we probably should, you know, err on the side of caution and assume they're wrong. But here it's quite extraordinary. Here is the establishment trying to save itself. And certainly the Republican establishment needs saving. And so the FT ever on the lookout to go back to the days when the folks at the Aspen Institute where I go and Chatham House and the Brookings Institute and AEI and the Council on Foreign Relations where I'm a member run things um, as, as though that were their God-given right, um, the Republican establishment is no longer taken seriously. As I say in The Last Best Hope, the reasons for this are pretty obvious. Uh, their record is terrible. The reason the Republican establishment fell out of favor with Trump was that it was ripe for the plucking. People had simply ignored white working class, high school educated men in particular who formed the core base of Trump's support. And I remember being in Washington and thinking back, it occurred to me, it wasn't that white working class, high school educated men were denigrated in elite circles. They weren't. They weren't even brought up. I, I struggle to think of anyone this side of Jack Kemp in the Republican Party, and none of the Democrats, by the way, which is why they fled that party in droves. The days of Franklin Roosevelt are long over. Um, they just weren't brought up. Nobody cared what they thought. Nobody cared that all the jobs, the manufacturing jobs that they've depended on were being exported to China and elsewhere, rather. The, the FT and others said, isn't China a great thing? We can tame them, make them a non-dictatorship, non-communist with capitalism. 
course, that proved to be pathologically incorrect. See my last podcast on David Cameron. It was part of this whole cabal of morons. Um, there's that. Uh, they So on free trade, the party elite strayed. On caring about manufacturing jobs, the party elite strayed. On fighting endless wars for no gain for the average human beings, we strayed. The easiest laugh line I got during the Iraq crisis, the easiest laugh line when people would every once in a while feebly follow Ann Applebaum's insane argument, having learned nothing about everything. What was it Talleyrand said about the Bourbons? It's Ann Applebaum in spades. She forgot nothing and learned nothing. Uh, that they still think invading Iraq was a great idea. And the best laugh line I could get would be simply, do you want your trillion dollars back? If I said that, everybody in the crowd would laugh because obviously we'd rather have the trillion than have Iraq fall apart. Um, what had been a terrible state, a la Libya, run by a terrible man, but a coherent, stable place became utter chaos. We left Iran the dominant power in the Gulf. We indirectly led to the rise of ISIS as the Sunni leadership class in Iraq were obliterated. Iran became the dominant power in this important part of the world. We spent a trillion dollars. Thousands of Americans died. Hundreds of thousands of Iraqis died. And the place is now a basket case dependent on Iran. And this was obvious at the time. And average people said, why do we care more about Iraqis than what's going on here with our fentanyl crisis, with our losing our jobs? Think of a Bruce Springsteen song with that, losing that. And instead, Let's spend a trillion on Iraq. Let's spend a trillion on Afghanistan. And now let's spend $114 billion on Ukraine. All of these are obviously third-order priorities. The Republican neoconservative establishment, of whom Nikki Haley is the last person standing, um, said, go ahead and spend the money. And it didn't take people long to realize that they weren't being taken seriously. And even now, it seems to me in these debates that Nikki Haley and the establishment, Mike Pence, Tim Scott seemed to care far more about what's happening to Ukrainians than what's happening to Americans regarding fentanyl. For all these reasons, Donald Trump saw a discredited elite and there was an unfriendly takeover of the party in 2016. And this still goes on. This still goes on today. And so the FT, desperate to claw back the Republican Party into the broad establishment, sees faint glimmerings of hope. And what do they say? Nikki Haley is the future, and she is going to make it, and we are going to see to this. And so they run an idiotic article today saying her numbers vis-a-vis -vis Biden are better slightly than those of Trump, and they're better than DeSantis's. And this is true. She's able to raise a whole bunch of money. This is true. And she's come out of the debates as the hot candidate. Well, everything to the last point, I'd argue, is probably true. But this conveniently leaves out the determinative facts of the 2024 contest. And that's what I thought we'd spend time on. In other words, why am I right about all the things I mentioned? And why is the FT perennially, catastrophically wrong? And so here goes. Um, what the FT has left out of this little wish casting, and that's what this is. This is wish, wishing away reality. It's, again, amazing how they're never right. When they say she's on fire... She's on fire with the non-Trump, non-populist, old establishment wing of the party. That's true. She can raise lots of money. That's true. Although all the others, certainly Trump and DeSantis and Ramaswamy is independently wealthy, have lots of money as well. What they don't say in the FT is the establishment wing of the party is about 30 percent 
of the Republican primary voters. And this holds fairly consistently over the last year, meaning if you add in the percentages of Mike Pence, now out of the race, Tim Scott, now out of the race, Nikki Haley, and Chris Christie, this gets you between 25 and 30 percent of the GOP primary vote. However, it's divided. Uh, the populace, Trump, DeSantis, and Ramaswamy, get at least 70 percent. The numbers are actually closer to 25, 75, but let's say I'm off a little and it's merely 30-70. Overwhelmingly a populist party. The, what, what people don't understand is whatever happens to Donald Trump and what the last best hope is predicated to take advantage of is that the base of the party is now Jacksonian and with Jeffersonians playing a key role. And this isn't going to change when Donald Trump leaves the scene. And this is what has happened. There's been a fundamental realignment of the party and the FT just wishes this weren't the case. And as soon as that bad man, Donald Trump, leaves the scene, everything will go back to normal and we'll get Mitt Romney and the Bushes will run the Republican Party again. And this is, of course, the Nikki Haley is their new torchbearer. This is, of course, a bedtime story. This is wishing and not thinking. And that's why the FT is wrong over and over again. They wished that China worked out because all the people who read their paper would make a lot of money. And if they could make that seem geostrategically responsible, how wonderful if that worked. They wished Iraq worked because a lot of them on the on the Wilsonian hawk end of the spectrum desperately needed the NGO style view of the world to work. It didn't. They desperately hoped the financial crisis wouldn't happen because, again, their readers caused it. Um, they could go on and on. They desperately hoped Trump didn't exist or would go away because they hate him. This isn't thinking, this is wishing, and they're wishing again. The key fact is that if you add in Mike Pence's share of the vote, Tim Scott's share of the vote, Nikki Haley's share of the vote, and Chris Christie's share of the vote, the establishment wing of the party, it stays at between 25 and 30 percent, while the populists, Trump, DeSantis, and Ramaswamy, get at least 70. While it's certainly true that Haley has benefited from the other establishment candidates leaving the field, there is absolutely no evidence her numbers clock above 30% at max, and that's being generous. So yes, the field is winnowing on the establishment side. Pence is gone, Scott is gone, Christie's really last stand is New Hampshire, where he's polling at about 8 or 9%, but other than that, he's a non-factor in Iowa and South Carolina. And so all these establishment votes are, are winnowing in, uh, with the winnowed candidacies are funneling toward Haley. And her numbers are going up. But there seems to be absolutely no sense that the number for the establishment is anywhere near above 25-30%. Meaning Trump's numbers, DeSantis's numbers, and Ramaswamy's numbers still equal 70. Which is what they equaled three months ago, six months ago, nine months ago, and 12 months ago. And until those numbers begin to be eroded, until establishment candidates make inroads into um, the populist dominance of the party, this is fool's gold. This is, again, the usual billionaires not understanding politics and the FT echoing them, but cheerleading behind them, wrong as it so very often is. Uh, while Haley has benefited from this, this winnowing process, there's no evidence that the basic division of the party, 30% remnant establishment, 70% Trumpist Jacksonian populace, that this is going to change. Um, the other polling numbers the FT kind of kindly omitted are that Trump, head-to-head, -head, is not she's not making any inroads upon him, as my analysis would suggest, meaning 
that he's ahead of her by 30 points in Iowa, 30 points in New Hampshire, and indeed 25 points in her home state of South Carolina. That's right. The candidate who's on fire, so desperate is the FT to make news where there is none to make, has someone who in her home state is still down 25 points to Donald Trump. He's miles ahead, whatever the FT wish casts. They simply can't wish away the fact that Donald Trump is miles and miles and miles ahead in Iowa, New Hampshire, and crucially, her own home state of South Carolina. So if being on fire is getting the rest of the failed establishment votes, Pence and Scott, and, you know, Christie's bleeding out everywhere, but New Hampshire, yeah, she is. And the number will go up to 2025, maybe 30, though I I doubt we'll see 30, but 25 to 30. But the, the new story, the story is how rock solid the populist vote is. When Ramaswamy gets out of the race, if he does, with his minor percentage of, say, 4 to 7 percent, I guarantee you when we look that that vote will be spread between Trump and DeSantis, other populists. So until this basic power relationship is dealt with, this is just fool's gold. And the reason for that is the base of the party simply isn't where the FT or Nikki Haley are however much the FT wants to wish away this reality. And this is particularly true by what the FT conveniently calls it's Haley has a muscular foreign policy, meaning everyone else is a wimp, is weak, and only Haley is muscular. No, Nikki Haley is a neoconservative, proudly. I give her credit. She's honest. She's for the invasion of Iraq. She's for the invasion of Afghanistan. She's for helping Ukraine to the nth degree. She's for helping... Israel to the nth degree. She's for helping to China. If I picked a country in Africa, I'm sure she'd want to invade it. Her answer to everything is the neocon answer. A bad John Ford movie. And goodness knows he made a lot of good movies like The Searchers, but it's a bad John Ford movie. Shoot first and ask questions later. She is the reason she that the establishment are no longer in charge of the Republican Party. Their failed policies, particularly the foreign policies, the neoconservative disasters, the forever wars of Iraq and Afghanistan, and going along even with the humanitarian intervention lunacy of the Wilsonians, who only want to fight wars when the stakes are low, which makes no sense at all to any realist, any Jacksonian or Jeffersonian. We should only fight when the stakes are so low. Well, Jeffersonians and Jacksonians say, then you shouldn't fight at all. But the humanitarian interventions, the Hades, the Bosnias, the Somalias, the Kosovos, which have done absolutely no good at vast cost to the United States, this is part of what discredited the establishment in the first place. So much as the FT tries to pull a magic trick by not looking at the fundamental 70-30 imbalance within the Republican Party, it also is entirely wrong about the reasons for her unpopularity, which are there plainly to see. She's not running a muscular foreign policy. Read The Last Best Hope. And again, January 10th's our D-Day, guys. Read The Last Best Hope. I'm running an internationalist muscular policy, but one where occasionally America says something is not a priority and involves invasion. And this kind of cartoon view of the party is precisely what led George W. Bush into such disaster in Iraq and why the party moved away from an establishment who spent trillions on Iraqis and Afghanistanis and almost nothing on the white working class guy at home and is still continuing to care more in these polls as Haley does passionately about Ukrainians who are at best a corrupt oligarchy 
wishing for a victory that's never going to come at the cost of $114 billion. You don't have to be an isolationist for sometimes the answer to be no. And in fact, people who don't and are neoconservatives have committed electoral suicide within the Republican Party. That's why they're at 30% of the vote. That's why what the FT is saying is wrong. And that's why Nikki Haley is the fool's gold of this election cycle. Don't buy it. Hope you enjoyed that. Fun to do a quick one, the contest 2024, looking at what's going on and why Nikki Haley is not the answer to any sane question anyone would have, and explaining yet again why the FT is wrong about just about everything. Take care and on to the next.